I was all ready to sing another hymn. I forgot that I was supposed to come up here. <laughs> and it's just, um, uh, what a blessing uh, to be able to sing together and start the new year off. And, and uh, trust you had a, a blessed Christmas and, uh, and a good uh, new year last night. Um, this morning, um, we're going to do a little, something a little different. Um, we've been going through... Uh, the Gospel of John, as you know, for some time, and we kind of reached this transitional section in John's Gospel, um, where in chapter all the way 1 to 17, we're seeing Christ revealed as the Son of God, as the Messiah, his divinity is being revealed, um, and he's presented himself to the world. And then we saw a couple weeks ago in John 17, where that public ministry is kind of coming, came to an end where now he's headed to the cross to accomplish the work that he came to do. And he prays for those disciples, and he prays for us looking into the future. And so now he's going to transition, John, to take us uh, to showing where Christ is going to fulfill all of the promises as he goes to the cross. And so there's this transitional section there He's going to be turned over to the worldly authorities, rejected by men, crucified, buried. He's going to rise again. He's going to win the victory for, for his people. And so all of that is coming into the future. And this is where John says all these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. You may become an overcomer. Um, through faith in Christ. True believers who have been converted unto Christ always endure in faith. Even if it means enduring hard struggles for doing so, those who have faith in Christ will patiently and confidently hold fast to Jesus and all the promises of God in him. This is how faith acts in the world. Therefore, Jesus asked the Father, we saw in John 17, to keep his present and future disciples to keep them in his name. Jesus prayed for us in John 17 that we would persevere in our faith. And if Jesus prayed that for us, then what does that mean? We will persevere in our faith. We will, because that's what faith does. And so I thought, before we go into John 18, to the end of the chapter, that key point of the gospel is the crucifixion. Before we go into looking at what Jesus is going to finish, I thought we'd start this year off by considering two Old Testament examples of what a victorious faith looks like. So when Hebrews 11 does this, by highlighting the examples of those who walked in faith in the Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus, and he talks about their faith, and he gave a lot of examples, and he notes that at the end of chapter 11, that time constrained him because he could talk about 
He could talk about Samson and Gideon and Jephthah, and he could talk about how they shut the mouths of lions and so on. And there were so many examples of faith that he could have pointed to, but he was constrained by time in this sermon. And so he he highlighted several key examples for us, and we went through those when we went through John, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He, he highlighted the examples of Abraham and Moses' faith, and back in 2020 when COVID started, uh, we considered those examples. And so I think in the next two weeks, maybe three, I wanted to highlight some more examples for us to begin 2023. And one of the examples, the one we're going to highlight this morning, is the example of Daniel, and it's found in Daniel chapter 1. Lord willing, we'll look at David uh, next week. And both of them are actually referenced in Hebrews 11. Um, They're both referenced there, but he doesn't unpack them. And so I thought we would talk a little bit about their faith Um, Because the scriptures give us these examples for a reason. You know, we go verse by verse, we go through the books, we go verse by verse. We don't often take time and do very many topical kind of studies, Uh, but there is a place for those. Even the scripture gives them to us, and I think uh, this will be a good um, topical study on faith, and specifically uh, the faith of Daniel. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Um, because we don't know what 2023 holds. We, we don't know what's in store for us as a nation, as individuals. We don't know if it's going to be what we would call a good year. We don't know if it's going to be a year full of trials. So we don't know what's in store. But what, what we do know, what we do know is that we are instructed in God's word to live no matter what it looks like, We are instructed to live by faith, and we are instructed to live as aliens in a culture that rejects God in a way that pleases God, right? We are aliens in this world, and God wants us to be faithful. So I pray this would be an encouragement to you as we look at the example of Daniel. So we will look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start with a basic definition of faith from Hebrews 11, and then we're going to see how Daniel's faith was challenged by the world, how Daniel's faith confronted the world, and then how his faith was ultimately victorious over over the world. So let us hear God's word, and then let's ask for God's blessing. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, 
learning and competence to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are, who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter uh, in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thus concludes the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your blessing now as uh, we study this faith that you gave to Daniel and his friends. And we pray that it would be an encouragement to us that we would draw out from these truths uh, that which is good for our soul um, and will strengthen our faith that ultimately we might stand in this world in a way that pleases you and remain faithful to you in all things. And we ask for your grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is faith then? Clearly, we're going to see Daniel and his friends had faith. Faith has kind of fallen on difficult times in, in our culture. We've talked a little bit about this in the past, but uh, when people think about faith in our culture, they kind of think of it as a, 
blind belief in something that's unreasonable. That's kind of how our world thinks about faith. A blind belief in something that is unreasonable. You don't need facts. You don't need history or anything. You just blindly accept something. And, and uh, you don't need scientific uh, confirmation, no basis or anything. It belongs to the realm of superstition. And I was reading an article that Brent Kunkel wrote uh, for Stand to Reason, which is an apologetic ministry. And he said he recently heard a Christian, a Christian argue this, that, quote, providing a reason for your faith is ultimately fruitless, regardless of how logical your reasons might be. Faith is believing without reasons or evidence. And then concluded, Brent Kolkel did, that such a view is taken because believers think that this view protects and preserves faith against the onslaught of the world. In other words, if, if faith can't be attacked by reason and everything and I just feel it and it's just my faith, then whatever the world says, it can't attack, attack me. I'm just going to hunker down into my faith. I don't need reasons and facts. And so a lot of Christians live that way. But as we saw last week from Matthew 1, our faith is grounded in history. The whole lineage, remember? The whole lineage was given to us to show us that our faith is not unfounded and unreasonable, but God grounds it in history and in how he has worked all of these promises out to fulfill them in Christ. And so like Peter says, in 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, the majesty of the one who is himself the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're grounding our faith in facts. And so Hebrews 11.1-3 gives us, I think, a great definition Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So it's the assurance of things hoped for. That assurance is grounded in something the conviction of things not seen, that conviction is grounded in something. And what it is grounded in, the assurance and the conviction that make up faith, it is grounded in the trustworthy nature of God who has proved faithful to his promises in the past and will in the future. It is grounded in God's word. This is why he points in verse 3 to creation. You look at creation, the fact of creation, and it shows you that God's word is powerful and God will be true to all of his promises. Faith sees no reason to doubt that God will continue to be faithful to his word in the future just as he has in the past. 
And I think this is what marked out Daniel, which is why he's highlighted in Hebrews 11. Daniel's faith in God's promises and in his word impacted and influenced the decisions and directions of his life. And God brought Daniel through some pretty tough things. And you'll see that what happens with faith in this world ultimately is that for those who live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, one axiom, if you will, this is an axiom, you can mark it down. Your faith will be challenged by the world, period. You will not get through this life seeking to live faithfully before God without the world challenging it. This is what Satan does in the world. Daniel lived in the time of Israel's greatest disaster. He lived during the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple and the Babylonian exile of many of his people. And so Daniel was a a young man, he's probably at this point around 15 years old. He's part of a royal family or nobility of Israel. He would have been raised, no doubt, to know God and to know his word, according like to Deuteronomy 6, for example. He would have been brought up in the truths of the history of Israel and in the truths of the Almighty God. He's got a firm, strong upbringing. Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. He conquers Jerusalem, and, his, and this was his first of three times that he went into Jerusalem. He came in 605 and 597 and finally in 586. And so during this first siege over Jerusalem is during Jehoiakim's reign. And this is when this Daniel and his friends are being taken captive. And so after he conquers, Nebuchadnezzar decides to bring back some of the best and the brightest of the youth of Israel to become his servants, to, to be taught the culture, to be taught the language of Babylon. And he wants them to be assimilated into what Nebuchadnezzar considered to be the superior nation. The superior nation in the world is Babylon. And I'm going to go and we're going to take these young people from Jerusalem and we are basically going to brainwash them to have them realize how vastly superior Babylon is. To Jerusalem. And so these first seven verses, we get this first-hand account of Daniel, how Daniel and his friends are deported from Jerusalem. Everything Daniel knew is, is wiped away, and he is left with him and his three friends, and whatever other captives went. But the Lord was with him. And so the assimilation tactics 
of the Babylonians, like I said, amounted to brainwashing. This is where their faith is going to be challenged. They, the Babylonians didn't simply want these young men to become obedient subjects of the empire. They wanted them to become Babylonian. They, they wanted their loyalty and devotion to be from within, not something forced from without, but they, they wanted them to inwardly embrace and be Babylonian. And so for three years, they trained these, these young men by showering them with education, learning, knowledge, food, drink, and luxuries. Verse 5 says, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. The world vying, pulling for Daniel's loyalty. The world wanted to win them over by giving them all that the world could offer them. Food and drink and education. Appealing to their flesh. And they also renamed them. Because one of the things that the world wants to do, Babylonian wants to do, is not just lure them in with all of the great blessings of the world, but he wants them to change their identity. He wants them to no longer identify with the God of Jerusalem and who they are. He wants them to identify with the gods of the world. And so Daniel says that what, they, what happened in verse 7 is the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, which means God is my judge, he called Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect the king. Hananiah, he called Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious, he called Shadrach, which means command of Aku, a different god. Then he says Mishael, which means who is like the Lord, he called Meshach, which means who is what Aku is? And then Azariah, the Lord is my helper. They renamed him Abednego, which means servant of Nego. So he's, they're re-identifying them and identifying them with the gods of this world. Now, that temptation would have been very, very real for Daniel. Daniel is a hero of the faith, but you have to understand that this temptation is very real and significant for Daniel. He knew the goodness of the food and the drink and the bread that he had in former Jerusalem. He traveled 500 miles to Babylon under captivity, so he would have been hungry, he would have been thirsty, he would have been homesick, he would have been all of those things. 
And now they're offering you the most basic needs. Food and drink. Education. He wasn't tempted with fame and fortune, with power and prestige yet. Just food and drink. And you could see the temptation to give in and to assimilate into the new culture, to take on their values, to embrace their customs, to blend into society, to forget who you are and take on a new identity that things may have been a lot easier for you. But what was Daniel and his friends' issue? The problem, of course, was that eating this kind of meat and this kind of drink given to them was against God's law. It was also food that was probably offered to idols because they're Babylonian. God wanted to keep his people separate from the world so that they might be a light to the Gentiles and to the world. And so he gave them regulations to keep them separate, to keep them a holy nation. And part of that had to do with their dietary restrictions. And so Daniel's thinking in his mind and his friends is, man, this may be what they're thinking. If I compromise my faith at this level of worship, what else am I going to be willing to compromise in the future? If I compromise on what seem to be little things, then what am I going to do when some real bigger temptations come before me? And so the whole reason they were in captivity was why? Was because Israel wouldn't keep God's word. The whole reason he's there is because Israel wasn't being faithful. And you could just hear some of these other young men with Daniel. You can hear him saying it. Come on, Daniel. Take it. Eat it with open arms. Why do you want to rock the boat, Daniel? You're young. You have your whole life ahead of you. If you can't beat them, do what? Join them. This is what they're going to be telling him. You can't fight against the world. It's too strong. It's too powerful. The culture is too dominant. And so Daniel, just kind of blend in and just do it. It will go much easier for you. But it probably more came like this. Hey, Daniel. The voice of Satan. That's how Satan comes. He just whispers. He puts it before you. And so these men are confronted, challenged by the world. But if he did it, he's not going to receive commendation from the Lord because that's not the way that faith works in the world. You know what happens to those who choose that route? They fade away into the history of the world. They take what Jesus calls 
the broad way that leads to where? To destruction. So Daniel, he, does, he takes the narrow way. Daniel's faith had to contend with the world that was challenging it. Daniel was at odds with the culture around him. He didn't see the world the way the world saw itself. He didn't think of God the way they thought of God. He did not pursue the things of this world the way they pursued them. The world of Babylon was going to fight for Daniel's affection and loyalty every step of the way. Do we live in Babylon? Oh, it's hard to know exactly. Not technically in that nation, but we live in a Babylon of our own. And the fact of the matter is that this culture around us, the world around us, we too are at war. We are. This is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. That's what God says. You are, you are at war. Your faith is at war against the, the world. And we are swimming, beloved, and it seems the currents are coming like you're really swimming against the current here in the world in which we live. And the world, this is to apply it to us now, the world wants your affections. The world wants your loyalty. The world wants your devotion and service. The world wants your mind. And how does the world go about seeking? You can answer this for yourself. I don't even need to give you the answer. But you, you t ask yourself, how does the world go about seeking to get my mind converted to it? And then what are we doing to help the world have victory in that way for us? What are we being tempted with to challenge our faith that we are not saying no to when we know that in not saying no to those things, we are giving an advantage to the world to pull us in. Look, they didn't have the things, all the technologies that we have in Daniel's day, but it's the same principle. And Babylon is doing the same Thing. Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I don't know where I read this. I don't know who, 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 where I read this, but it's a good description. And the person said, the lion does not stand out in the open air, but he blends in the grass, mixing truth with lies. Isn't that good? He doesn't stand out in the open air, does he? He blends in, mixes in the grass, hiding to consume us. And there's always going to be a point in your life where your faith is going to come to a crucial decision, and it's going to be the genuineness of your faith is going to be tested, and it's going to look different. 
going to look different. Maybe someone dies close to you that challenges you. Maybe you're tempted to lie or to steal or to be dishonest, to gain success. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it comes. And if you compromise, like Adam and Eve took the first bite, then you may rationalize the next bite. Isn't that how sin goes? Right? One bite leads to another bite. It's just what happens. So a decision, whether you're 15 or 9 years old, or whether you're 115, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. The vilest people you can think of in the world did not begin down that horrific path overnight. Decisions. For Daniel, the decision was this. Might seem insignificant, but would he compromise God's word and take from the defiled storehouses of Babylon's treasure and enjoy them for himself? So what does he do? His, his faith then confronts the world. So he's being challenged. What faith does then is faith then in God confronts the world. So in, in other words, he just doesn't passively hide or run away, but he actually confronts the world. You see this in verse 8. By the way he words it, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And so that word for resolve there, it's a very strong word, and it means to be devoted to principle and to be committed to a course of action. So, so Daniel firmly decided in his own heart that he's not going to defile himself by eating and drinking all of these things forbidden by God's law. He resolved in his heart and mind to live by faith in the word of God and his promises. This word he received from God in his youth that God had given them promises, he says, you know what? I don't care what the world offers me. I am going to live according to God's promises. And I'm going to obey his word no matter what the cost is. He probably thought about Jeremiah, maybe, 29, 4-7. This is what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Daniel probably would have heard this. God said to them, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. 
But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. In other, in other words, Jeremiah is saying there to those exiles that are going there, he's saying the first thing you need to understand is that when you're in exile, you still belong to me. You are in exile, but you are not abandoned. I sent you here, the prophet Jeremiah is telling them. So I want you to live for me while in exile and pray for those among whom you live. Do good for them. Seek their welfare. Show them love. Intercede for them. Have a godly influence on them. Live in great hope. Grow as God's people. But be faithful to me in the midst of them. This is why Daniel, when he's offered this food, he knows it's against God's law. These young men go out on a limb. They trust God's going to intervene and that God would use them. And so they say no. And they confront the world with their faith. Could this have meant that Daniel and his friends are put to death? Yeah. This could have been the cross and the mountain to die on that had Daniel and his friends put to death. And Jesus says, Whoever follows me needs to take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a good chance that it will carry with it some pretty heavy consequences in life. That's what faith is. You may have to make a decision that is going to cost you dearly. But if it means being faithful to God and his word, do it. Just, just do it. Because what are your options? Your options are either experience the hostility of the world that can destroy my body Or go against the almighty God of all of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who has the power to destroy my soul forever. You pick. You pick. What does faith do? Faith says, I will throw my lot and cast my hope upon the living God who promises to bless and to save those who turn to him in faith and repentance. I will put my hope in the living God. And your faith confronts the world. And so if you're, look, if you're young or old here, but particularly if you're young like Daniel, and you're growing into adulthood, you have to understand 
And maybe us older saints have come to learn this a bit better. Maybe not, but... Wanting or preferring God's will is not enough. You you understand that? Wanting or preferring God's will is not enough. If, If you're going to be resolved like Daniel is resolved, and if you're going to be ready to confront the world, your convictions have to be established beforehand. Daniel wasn't resolved by the convictions of his parents or his friends or his pastor or his professors or his family. Daniel's convictions... The convictions of other people can only bring you so far. Other people's convictions that you take will only get you so far in life. You must purpose it in your mind and in your heart to make your convictions formed from the word of God, make them your own. Clarify what they are. Mark the convictions out. Make them known to yourself. Make them known to those who are around you. You must think through what you believe and then test what you believe according to the word of God. This is how you can live by faith. If you don't do that, then when the world confronts you, you will cave. Because you don't know what you're standing on. And I know a lot of you are growing up, you're going to go to college, you're going to move out, and the college or school that you go to wants your soul. And they want your mind. They, and even the jobs that you work, they want every ounce of you and they want to squeeze it out until there is nothing left. And unless you know, what do I believe as a Christian? What does God's word tell me? How can I live faithful in this world? You're going to crumble. And so Daniel and his friends knew this is what they held firm to was the promises of God. This is what Paul told Timothy, I think, in 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 15. This is what he's alluding to. He says to Timothy, who's young, Paul's old, well-worn, Paul, well-worn by this time, Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How's that for direct? Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. That's awesome. Don't give in, Timothy. Continue in what you have learned 
and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And when you live like that, real quickly here, your faith will be victorious over the world. God anointed these young men of faith in a special way. The steward who was over them tested them for 10 days, and then we read in verse 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables the Lord gave them an extraordinary grace. He caused them to stand out, not on their own personal merits, but on the basis of God's good provision. And verse 17 goes on to say, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They were 10 times better than the others. Do you notice what Babylon promised them? Food and drink to satisfy, wisdom, learning, identity. But what did God give them? God gave them learning and fatness and skill in literature and wisdom. God gave them more than Babylon could ever give because faith is victorious. Christ will always be victorious. And they got favor with the king, and the Lord blessed them in their obedience. Now, in conclusion, the victory of our faith isn't always going to lead to worldly accolades and success, like Daniel. It's not always going to happen. Hebrews tells us that, right? Some were sawed in half. They went about like animals in the mountains, right? Hiding in caves. Sometimes it's going to lead to suffering. The point is, in this year, 2023, beloved, let us, as God's people, be resolved like Daniel and his friends, to run the race with endurance that is set before us, doing what? Looking to Jesus, the one who has fulfilled all of the promises of God on our behalf, the one who promises us forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, who promises us an eternal home. And in whatever we do, beloved, be faithful. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the example of Daniel and his friends, for the faith that you gave them, for the way that they lived in the world that received your commendation because they did not give in to the things that the world was offering to them to, to win over their devotion and their love and their 
identity, Lord. We know that the world is also after ours. And we know, oh God, and we, we know that we are guilty of, at times, uh, dipping our feet, as it were, too deep into the things of this world and identifying too closely with this world. We ask, oh God, that you would forgive us where we have failed in that end and that in the future, God, you would help us to have more victories over the little things that we would not think of little things as insignificant, but that we would see that ultimately any sacrifice or any compromise um, of your word is, is wrong and it's sin. And so help us to be faithful in the little things. Help us to be faithful and holy and set apart from the world and and where we might struggle with a particular sin, oh God, we pray that you would help us to have small victories over those things that we might not fall into their snare again. We want to be good examples and lights in this world, Father, and so we pray that you would help us to be that wherever we may be. Lord, for those that are in our church that are young and moving off to uh, to maybe jobs or to colleges or to schools or maybe just moving to even another city. We, we pray, God, for uh, your grace to be with them. We pray that as Paul encouraged Timothy that they would be firmly planted in what they have been taught and what they have received from your word, that they would go forth in a way uh, of obedience to you and trusting you in your word, that you would guard them and protect them, that you would keep them faithful in the midst of their life's journey ahead, that even as the world vies for their minds and for their hearts and different temptations come their way, oh God, we pray that you would keep them strong and faithful. Don't let them fail, Father. Don't let them fall, but hold them tight as the world grows dark Hold them in the light of your word. We pray that for each of us here, Father. We ask that this year of 2023 would be a year of victory for us in Christ as your people, where we become more holy, more set apart, more righteous, more active in your kingdom and working for your glory, that ultimately Christ might be exalted. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You want to sing a song first and then do communion? Yeah? No? Okay. He'll lead it. Wow. I, I was just so thinking what I, was, what I was preaching. And this ultimately is what the Lord invites us to do as his people. This is where our victory comes from. Our victory comes from Christ breaking his body and shedding his blood and making atonement for our sin. This is what has overcomes the world.
Christ crucified and risen again. And so the Lord's table, beloved, is for those who have placed their faith in, the, in Jesus Christ. If you are here and you're visiting from another church and you're in good standing and you know the gospel, then we invite you to feel free to partake of the Lord's table. But if you're living in completely unrepentant sin and you are rebelling against God's word and you don't know the gospel and you don't understand what Christ has done, then we ask you not to partake of this Lord's table because the scripture says that in eating and drinking, you are drinking condemnation on yourself because you are not discerning the blood in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the same time, if, if you are, if there is sin that we're clinging to, I don't want to say don't come to the Lord's table, but I do want to say confess that sin and come to the Lord's table. Because the Lord's table is here for us to partake of. Why? Because we are sinners. Jesus Christ forgives his children their sin as far as the east is from the west. He removes them. He makes atonement for all of them. So if you're a believer and you're here and you know that there are some sin that you keep holding on to, confess that sin. Ask for strength that God would help you to let it go. So you're invited to partake if you know Jesus as your Savior, to celebrate the Lord's table with us. So let's ask the Lord to bless the, the bread and the wine. I want to invite up um, Andrew to come up, and Chris, you could come up now, and um, whose name am I missing? Oh, Gary, sorry, there's Gary, you come up too, yeah. So let me pray, and the men will pass out the, the bread. Father, we, we thank you so much for your uh, love for us, your grace, and your mercy. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, the body that you broke for us and for our sin. Uh, we pray, Lord, that as we partake, uh, this afternoon that we would do so in a in a humble way and with uh, thanksgiving and in properly discerning the price that you paid for us so thank you for inviting us to your table thank you for enabling us as your children to to eat this supper together in unity in the spirit and in gratitude for what you our savior and god have done to save us. So bless us now and bless this bread in your name, Jesus. Amen.